Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. How are we doing? My name is Chris Pleckenpole, and I am so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my regular gig is uh, I'm a pastor in Austin, Texas, and uh, so grateful to be with you here in Centralia, Illinois. How awesome is this? And uh, your church is such a welcoming place to be. I love the space. I love the people. This is incredible. So I'm so glad to be here. Uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is there's a, a movement that's kind of been thrust about called I Am Seconds, where you're putting Jesus first, right? So everything else comes second to that. And uh, one of the things I have is a little bit of experience uh, of a combat sort, so I want to kind of relive some of those stories with you, good, bad, ugly, because isn't that how life is? I mean, if we're honest. I mean, some of you guys, you're, you're smiling in here, and you, when you shut the door, you haven't talked to your spouse since you walked in, right? And you're kind of like, when I get back in that car, I'm going to let him, you know, I get it. I listen. I, I live that life, all right? So uh, I want you to know this is, we're in a safe place, okay? So we're not, we're going to be talking real stuff, and I want to be able to kind of express with you some of the stuff that I've seen. So as a, um, as a Christian growing up, all right, I was one of those guys that got saved perhaps at eight at a vacation Bible school that the Baptists did, and I was Lutheran. I didn't know that there was a difference between those two things. And so um, uh, I went to the vacation Bible school, so grateful for that, but no discipleship, no one talked to me about Jesus. It was sort of like stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight for Jesus uh, for church service. Uh, but then uh, when I uh, went, graduated from West Point, found myself sort of searching for Jesus, searching for something, and I met him at... Um, uh, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, of all places. And so it was an exciting moment for me. And do you know how, like, um, you go from this point in your life where you're a fan of God, like, yay, Jesus, go team, go church. We're, we're, we're against a lot of things, and we're for our things. And then all of a sudden, everything transformed when you received Christ as your Savior. And for me, it just turned the world from black and white to color. And all of a sudden, I had eyes to see stuff I'd never seen before. How dark the world was, how dark my own heart was, and how this battle of sin was like, oh, this is a thing. And so uh, I uh, was in the army. I went and got, did the airborne ranger thing, and through a long set of circumstances, ended up uh, as a combat company commander in Iraq. And I had about uh, 21 tanks, uh, seven Bradleys, which are like mini tanks, just not as much armor. And then I uh, had a bunch of Humvees, and we went up and down the highway looking for bad guys. So I, I went from, you know, 20, you know, I'm 22, just kind of figuring out life. 9-11 happens. Oh, gosh, there's a war. And then all of a sudden, I'm now in the middle of it and uh, as a company commander. So responsible for over 100 dudes and just kind of going, wow, what is going to happen? I'll never forget that first day of combat. I was standing outside my command post, just Looking over the city, I, I actually, we, I had a two-story building. I could see into the city, and, and I could see the heat waves bouncing off the minarets of the mosque, 120 degrees outside. I, I could see the Iraqi people selling groceries, exchanging ice. <laughs> that was a kind of a big commodity. 
Uh, and then there are my tanks rolling out in the sector. And the time that we were supposed to take over that high, I'll never forget it, it was 1400. And at 1404, as I'm looking at my watch to kind of just make sure I'm on time, like this is a very nerve wracking thing. I've never been to war before. I don't know how these things work. Uh, but I do know that God has a whole world in his hands, all that kind of things going through my mind. Glanced down at my watch, and then boom! As soon as I looked down, uh, an eruption about a mile, two miles out, I can see it just balloon to this m- crazy mushroom cloud. And I'm like, oh no. I immediately get onto, uh, back into the tactical operations center, which is just where the radio is, uh, and I'm listening uh, to what is going on. And I'm trying to get a, a situation report from the guys on the ground. Is that everybody okay? And ladies and gentlemen, there's three letters that you never want to hear come across the radio in combat. And that's KIA, killed in action. And if you've been in combat, you've you saw that that like sort of like those words on the radio like it resonates in your mind. It bounces back and forth. It's just sort of a a thing. And so immediately, you don't have time to grieve. You don't have time to be sad. You don't have time to do anything other than go get your weapon and get out there. And so I grab my rifle, grab my pistol, grab my flak vest, run down to the tank. I'm sprinting. They're like, what's going on? They didn't have the, the vehicle on yet. We fired up, and we're pushing that tank as fast as it will go out toward the west gate. Uh, and the whole time, I'm trying to get just a whole, just all flood of emotion. Um, comes through, my heart rate is just accelerated, I can barely speak, I'm so pumped. You guys know what I'm talking about. And as I'm exiting the West Gate, another tank's coming in, the entire right side of that tank is just decimated, and I realize Sergeant Vallant is no longer inside the hatch, he's dead in the turret. And everything inside me just wants to sort of like shut it down and quit, but I can't because I got men in contact outside, which means shooting. And so uh, I move past that tank, and I head out into a uh, sector, and there's small arms fire, machine gun fire, and mortars from, coming across the Euphrates River. And so we are engaging the enemy. And after about 15 minutes of exchanging gunfire, uh, the enemy withdraws to the north. I send two tanks across the Euphrates on a bridge. I follow my tank, about 100 infantrymen with me, and we start searching house to house to house to house. Looking for any clue as to who may have killed my man. Like, you know, the emotion of just, you know, kicking in a door and be like, I'm going to find, you know, I'm going to. And after seven hours of searching, on our first day of combat, I'm drenched in sweat, physically exhausted from running around 50 pounds of gear on, but probably more importantly, just emotionally shot. I just lost my first soldier. You got one job as a as a commander, bring everybody home alive. And 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 like, you know, there's all these things like when you're 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 kissing mommies and, and you're kissing wives and you're kissing children goodbye and uh and then here we are. And promises not kept and men not coming home. And I had to get a you know, I had to write a letter home to um, Sergeant Vallant's wife, Michaela, and thirteen year old daughter Sarah and explain to her how I let their father and husband die. And that night, I got to kind of get the men motivated because it's like, hey, guys, guess what? Tomorrow, we're going to go back out there. We're going to get back on our tanks, and we're going to get back on our vehicles. We're going to go patrol these streets for Iraqi freedom because that's what American soldiers do, and we're going to go do it for the next 364 days because we just got here. 
And as a leader, you kind of got to, you know, project strength. Well, on the inside, I'm kind of looking at God going, I don't know if this is what we signed up for. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing, but it definitely doesn't feel like you're right here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you are like doing life, and it doesn't, like, maybe God, like, took a vacation on you, and you're like, oh, no, 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 God, remember, things are supposed to go well, man, when I trust you, when I give my life to you, good things happen, and here we are, and it feels like that's not happening. Now listen, you can never let your current circumstances determine the presence of God. No, I need you, I need you to, I need you to hear this. You can never let your current circumstances in combat, in your marriage, at your job, with your parenting, with the exhaustion, determine the presence of God. He is always with you. And I think that's something that this piece of I am second is really what I want us to draw in because it wasn't long after that that... um, I had, you know, one of my soldiers, and my, my soldiers all knew I was a Christian. It wasn't like a, a secret. I was like, hey, guys, I'm a Christian. I'm going to run this unit as a Christian. And so uh, there was a, a very much an outspokenness that probably would be uh, illegal, but I didn't really care because that's just kind of how I roll. And so I was like, we're going to talk about Jesus. And one of my soldiers, kind of like, uh, he was a, a young 20-year-old kid, kind of brash and uh, he came in about a week after uh, Sergeant Vallant had passed, and he just sort of opens the door of my office. Like, and listen, if you guys don't know this, privates and captains don't hang out. And, and I don't know if you guys know that. I'm a captain. He's a private. He rolls in my office like, hey, sir, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, pff, wow. Uh, I, I'm just taken aback. Uh, not much, Private Tickum. What's going on with you? And he goes, uh, well, sir, just want to let you know, I'm really a Delta Force operative. I work undercover as a tank load around here, but uh, you better treat me right because, you know, I'm heading places. And I'm like, I'm like all right. <laughs> I was just like, sit down, take up. All right. And I go, and I, and I was like, this is a great time. Hey, tell me about, how's the morale, man? How are you feeling? How, how's everybody dealing with, uh, with Sergeant Vallant's death? It's like, sir, we all going to die. We all know what we signed up for here. I'm like, okay, okay. Have you ever given a thought what would happen if you were going to die? Sir, I'm not going to die. I'm 20 years old. I got too much party to party, and I got too much life to live. And I said, listen, I know that you think that, but I just want want to just be real with you where I'm at. See, Jesus came, and he died on the cross for you. And he rose from the dead because you're a sinner, and darkness is in your heart, and he died for you, rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, power, hallelujah. And he's like, okay, sir, um... So I know that's your thing, uh, and I'm glad that you have that, but I got too much life to live. I just got off the phone with my girlfriend in Korea. I'm going to be a daddy, and you know what? I'm going to go party it up. I'm like, what a weird combination of things to say in that moment. (laughs) Um, And and I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Listen, Jesus is awesome. He he has life, and the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's like, okay, sir, can, can I go? Yeah, you can go. And listen, it felt like that first month, uh, just every day was, uh, we would, someone would get hurt. Um, you know, we were handing out purple hearts like candy. Uh, vehicles were being destroyed, and it was exhausting, and it was daily patrols every day, another thing. 
And I'll remember this one night, it was like, hey, nothing blew up today. I mean, we had some people shot at us and stuff blew up, but nobody got hurt, no vehicles got damaged. So that was a good day. And as I'm about to go to bed early, it was like 2300, 11 p.m. I'm about to like, man, it's been an easy day. All right, I'm going to put my head on the cot a little early. They figure it out. And just as like my head is inches from my cot, it's like the radio starts sparking up. It's like, we have casualties. We have casualties. And I get up and I kind of go over to the radio and I go, what's the status of the casualty? And again, it's three letters. KIA. What's the call sign? Which, which just means, who is it? And they go, it's Apache 2-3 Lima, which meant the loader from the third tank of second platoon, Apache company, my company. And I just did a quick battle roster check, and I knew exactly that was. I was private taking. The same kid told me he had too much life to live. And people asked me all the time. They asked me all the time. It's like, Chris, do you think that maybe when uh, uh, Private Tickham had a moment as his life was being taken away, do you think he trusted in Jesus? Do you think he did? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe. But what I do know is that when he had an opportunity to receive Jesus, he said no. And so my heart just sort of like broke. And this is what's, isn't this true about life, right? It's, it's not the only things just sort of like get hard. They sometimes just get, you're like, I hit rock bottom and somehow someone pulls out a jackhammer and gets a little lower for you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, my colonel calls me, called me in uh, uh, shortly after that. And uh, he, he was going to let me know that we were going to go to the Battle of Fallujah, which was intense. And, about the, and that's at the same time that my, my company is dealing and mourning the loss of Private Tickham. In fact, his best friend had been in my company. His name was uh, Private Cavazos. They had been to, uh, remember, this is the same kid you saw. He had been into basic training together. They had been uh, in Korea together. Now they're in Iraq together. And so just weeping, tears, just unbelievable amount of pain. And uh, so the colonel tells me, you're, you're going, you're, you need a, one of your tank platoons. It's going to be the lead element to the Battle of Fallujah. Uh, and the rest of your company is going to maintain security uh, connecting Fallujah to Ramadi. All right, roger that. So I let the platoon know, and Cavazos is in that platoon, and he's just sort of reeling from like all the death and all of that. And um, the night before the battle, before he would go into the night, Cavazos comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, sir, uh, would you mind praying with me?" Which I don't know if you guys know guys in the military. Um, saying, I need you to pray with me is never like a conversation that like, ever came up like in a normal situation. Like, hey, let's do some prayer time. Like that was for you know, me and like the three others who didn't care, right? Uh, most everybody else was about talking a whole lot of trash and just being you know, crazy men, right? And so he, and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to pray with you. So we walk outside, I'll never forget, 90 degree November night. And I go, what's up, man? Tell me the deal. He's like, well, sir, tomorrow I'm going to Fallujah. And I don't think I'm coming back. And I don't want to go to hell. So if you can do whatever it is that you Christians do and pray over me, <laughs> I'd appreciate it. I go, it doesn't quite work like that. I don't have any like a whoosh, like, you know, go to heaven dust. I said, but I go, was there ever a time you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And he's like, well, there was one time. He's like, growing up, I grew up in an abusive home and my 
stepdad and mom, I just kind of took it from them in every way imaginable. And uh, one night, just to kind of get away from the pain, I just got in the car, started driving. Ended up in a parking lot just thinking about how there was no hope. And that parking lot started filling up. It was a parking lot of a church, and they were doing a Wednesday night thing there or something. And for some reason, I went in, and I heard about Jesus, and I gave my life to him. And, I, and, I, and my girlfriend, uh, I, was, I promised her I was going to marry her. And, and well, what happened? He said, well, one night we were driving. It was my girlfriend and my, my daughter in the back seat, and we were driving. We got sideswiped, car accident, and my girlfriend and daughter died. Just, just, you could just see the anger well up. He said, since that time, I've been living my life despite God for what he's taken from me. I've been out of the juvenile detention facility, in and out of the alcohol and the drug scene. You wouldn't understand if I told you. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. And I asked this question, and I asked it a lot. And I told you, because it was so common. I said, tell me about your dad. I don't know my dad, and I don't want to know my dad. And I said, son of a bitch. People ascribe to God the characteristics of their earthly dad. So if your dad was abusive, sexually, physically, verbally, you look at God as anger, wrath, and you just sort of avoid him. You know, you don't mind doing work for him every now and then, but man, uh, I just want to not be in your presence. And really, reality is when that time comes, I'm going to get hammered and waylaid, so why even mess with him? And so there's trauma everywhere you go. And that's why you can't stick with friendships over time. So if your dad was distant due to death or divorce or never really around, you end up looking up at God as very distant and unconnected. And, you know, he might be there for the emergency prayer, but he's not there in the who should I marry and what job should I, what career should I be in? And so you don't talk to God about the daily stuff. You kind of reserve him for the Hail Mary prayer. I said, if your dad is coach dad where you get the love, but you got to earn it, you'll spin your wheels trying to just do more stuff, maybe make God happy. And maybe you, somehow you might be accepted and be loved. And he's like, okay, well, sir, okay, if that's not who God is, who is he then? And he said, I said to him, listen, he's a perfect father. And then I told him the story. Do you guys know the story of the prodigal son? Luke 15, classic story. Only, you know, um, I had to kind of, I don't want to say dumb it down. That's the wrong way to put it. Uh, I had to give it to him in a vernacular that he would wrap his head around. And I said, listen, there's his dad. He's got two kids. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. One dad, two kids. Son A is like citizenship of the year award kid. He's like, uh, you know, he does, he goes to camping awards. He is like, he's varsity on all the teams. He's a valedictorian. He is the kid. And then there's son B. He can't quite get it together. He's always getting in trouble. He's always the kid that's just a little bit behind on stuff. And he's always... In fact, he turns 18. He says, yo, dad, you're dead to me. Thank you very much. I'll take my inheritance now, and I'm out of here. And so he takes his, his dad, like, sells off the estate, splits it between son A and son B, and son B takes the load, and he heads off just east of Jerusalem to a little town called Las Vegas. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. <laughs> and the first thing he does, he buys the stretch camel. You know, you've seen it. It's got 10 humps. He's got hydraulic knees. He's bumping down the boulevard. And, oh, the ladies are flocking. And he's like, what's up, party? And for a season, for a season, they're saying, I want to be with you. And then the government 
has like some weird thing with subprime loans or something, and that next thing you know, um, there's this huge crisis, stock market crashes, and the camel gets repoed. I knew I had somebody have that. A camel gets repoed, and then he loses everything, and he tries to find work, and he gets a job find, feeding pigs. And he doesn't even earn enough to feed himself. And he's like, man, what am I doing here? How my dad's hired men have got food left over? Maybe since I screwed it up and I got kicked out of the house, he kind of keeps telling himself, maybe I can go and work for him. I don't, I don't ever plan to be his son again, but maybe he'll let me come and work there. And so he starts heading back. And he has this little story queued up. He's like, dad, um, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worried to be called your son, but you just take me back and I will do whatever you need me to do. And little does he know, his dad had been every night just sort of looking out toward the east, waiting for his son. He's like, shh, I'm waiting for my son. And then one night, instead of seeing a cloud of dust in the road, he sees a figure that he recognizes. Walk's not quite as cocky. The clothes aren't quite as nice. But he knows it's his boy. And he takes off on a dead-on sprint. And in, I don't know if you guys know this, in Middle Eastern culture, men don't run uh, primarily because you have to pull up your dishdasha, which we call the man dress, uh, and you have to hike it above, and showing your legs is like the worst thing. So, but this guy hikes up the man dress, and he starts sprinting toward his, gets to him and wraps his arms around him for a moment, they're chest to chest, cheek to cheek, as that son falls into the arms of his father. And I go, look at Kavastas, and I go, when was the last time you had a father's hug? He's like, never. I said, all you got to do is turn your eyes toward him, and he'll come running for you because he's a perfect father. And if you don't know what that means, it's like a foreign language. But in your soul, you know you need it, and you want it, you crave it. Everybody in the building wants their dad. And so that night, he came to understand that Christ was in him. And he was in Christ, and nothing could separate him from the love of God. Next day, he heads off to the battle. Let me tell you, what it felt like all of Iraq exploded during that time. My own tank, I had, I was actually telling my son this earlier, I was like, it was crazy. I, I, I told my colonel, I said, hey, sir, here's my plan. I'm going to go into an enemy-infested area. Here's the plan. They'll shoot at me. Boom, I'll shoot back. Win. And he's like, all right. And so I went and did it, right? So I go into, like, the enemy territory. I'm like, you're going to do a drive-by. And the next thing you know, well, boom, my tank explodes from right underneath me. Smoke and fire go past my face as an acrid taste of gunpowder got stuck in the back of my throat. My whole crew survived that miraculously. But we would lose two more soldiers. One would die when a Humvee rolled over. Another one would die when a vehicle-borne um, improvised explosive ice, which is a car bomb, hit one of my soldiers. And it felt like... Um, you could, uh, from, the, from where we were, we could see Fallujah, and it was like, fi- it was like literal Star Spangled Banner fireworks. Like, you're like, huh, that's what Francis Scott's key, Francis Scott Key was seeing. It was just intense. And finally, we took the city, and the platoon came back, and I, and I found Cavazos, and I said, how'd it go, man? What, what happened? And he said, well, we're all alive. And I said, well, tell me, did you have any experience? He's like, sir, we saw a lot of stuff. I don't think I ever bring myself to talk about some of it. He said, but there's one moment I'll never forget. So we're shooting at them, they're shooting back at us, and all of a sudden the tank aborted, which just means the tank broke down. And his tank commander looked at him and said, you, get out of the tank, check the oil, which is just like, 
All right. So he gets out, pulls off the, it's a really heavy engine plate on the back, and then he starts working on the back deck, and there's a certain sound the bullet makes that goes past your face, kind of between a zip and a crack. It's like a... And so the bullets are skipping on the dirt next to him, and he's working on the engine about 20 minutes exposed, puts the, the engine plate back on, dives back in the turret, and this is what he said to me. He said, sir, there was never a time I felt closer to my heavenly father than when I was outside that tent. I knew my God was with me. Now, listen to me. In the next 30 or so minutes, we're going to roll out of here. You're going to go through those double doors. You're going to get back in the car, and you're going to restart the fight that you put on pause to come in. And I just want you, I want to ask him the question. You may not have physical bullets flying at you, but the enemy has put a target on you and your family. And so the question is, are you confident? Are you confident that your heavenly Father is with you? Because I want you to walk out of here knowing that the enemy, no weapon formed against you, shall prosper. I want everybody here to know that. I want you to walk in confidence on that. I don't want it to be just something that's the church platitude. Oh, let's say something churchy today, and let's fake it again. You know, what we saw here with baptism was beautiful. It, it's like this, this thing of like, I go into the water, and it's symbolic of what happens to your soul. You're brand new. You were dead in sin. You come out of the grave brand new. You're alive in Christ. Now, how could you know for sure that your Heavenly Father's with you? I actually had... Um, interaction with one of my soldiers that, that kind of really helped me nail that down for him. I had one of those soldiers who was like the evangelical atheist. You guys know who I'm talking about? Maybe you work with one of these guys? Like every time you turn, oh, all right, Bible thumper guy, let me got a question for you. All right, all right, how about, okay, Cain and Seth, where'd their wives come from? <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> and so we would Bible banter. All the time. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. It was friendly. It was a little, you know, a little jab. That's what men do to be when they're friends. You guys know that. They just jab each other. And one night, uh, Sergeant Kish, he was out on patrol. Uh, and he and his best friend, Sergeant Gibbs, were uh, in sector. And, and Sergeant Gibbs was an infantryman, so he was on the ground following a wire, kind of figure out, like, is, could this look sort of suspicious, but you don't really know. It could just be a cable. It could be anything. You just kind of follow him where it goes. And Sergeant Kishbaugh's overwatching him from the tank, and all of a sudden, Sergeant Gibbs comes on to an actual bomb, realizes it, and boom. Sergeant Kish drives up on the scene, puts up, pulls up Sergeant Gibbs onto the front slope of the tank, tries to you know, stick an IV in somewhere as they're rushing back to the front gate. And as they cross over the front gate, hand Sergeant Gibbs over the medics, he passes. And that night, Sergeant Kish comes over to me and he's like, Sir, what are we doing here? Like, just there's no Bible banter. There's no, it, it's just, what are we doing here? We've lost so many. I don't understand. And I'm sitting there going, okay, you know, as a commander, you're like, you have, have to answer for these things. I'm like, okay, Middle Eastern diplomacy, George Bush, colonels, generals, uh, you know, just like history of war here. It's always going to be war. You know, all, all that stuff went through my head. And I go, hey, listen, there's something wrong with the human condition. It's why, um, it's why nations go to war. It's why people get divorced. It's why people die. And it's a thing of sin. And Jesus came. 
2,000 years ago, and he died on that cross, and he rose from the dead so you could have eternal life if you would just receive it. And he's like, oh, come on. Sir, we're talking about real things, not some fairy tale story. I said, just because you don't believe it doesn't make it not true. And he goes, whatever. I said, I'm going to start praying for you. And I know that God is going to do something in you. And he's like, whatever, I'm out. And so I did. That, and the next morning, I went and I'd have my quiet time. What I would do for my quiet time, I'd sit one chair here and then like one chair here. And I would just talk to Jesus like, Jesus. Um, so Sergeant Kish last night came by. And uh, we had that kind of conversation, altercation kind of thing. Can you do the thing that you do when you open up somebody's heart and you reveal yourself to them? Next morning. Hey. Um, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, Sergeant Kish, it's been two days. Can you do a thing? Day three, day four, day five, day six, day Jesus, 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 about 21 days. I'll never forget, I was writing my journal 21 days later. I was like, so Jesus, Sergeant Kish, do your thing. Reveal yourself to him like only you can do. You are the one in charge of his salvation, and I've seen a lot of good people go down, and they, he needs you. And that night, and that's what it is. This time, uh, there's no knock on the door. It's just uh, he busted open. He's like, Sir, uh, I just watched The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> and, um, okay, so I know we're in a church, um, but soldiers don't live in church, and so they have a different vernacular. They have a whole different language. So I'm going to try and translate for you, and you can use your imagination as to what words were said. I'll never forget this. <laughs> I just watched The Passion of the Christ. If this S is real, then I'm effed. It was the most beautiful, dirty confession. <laughs> I was like, if it's true that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then he rose from the dead and you don't believe it, you're, you're in trouble. He's like, and I'll never forget this, but what if I, what if I start sinning again? What if, I, what if I start drinking again? What if I start watching porn again? What if I start, what, what if, what, what, what if I start cussing again? I'm like, well, I already know you're going to do that, but I said, stop, stop, listen. The gospel isn't about making bad people better. It's about making dead people alive. And once you come to faith in Christ, he changes you from the inside out. He does the work. Through tears, salty, crusty, sergeant tears, he received Christ. Even so, when an RPG round slammed inside of his tank, and he had to be evacuated back to the States, as he was going, he said, I don't know why all this happened, but I know my God is with me. So listen, Sergeant Kishba is fine now, by the way. He's, everyone always, How is, is he okay? Yeah, he's fine. Um, Pastor Ronnie like, brought something up earlier. Like, this might be today is the day of your salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, my heart for you is, to, is for you to wrap your, your head around. Is I'm not pr promising daisies and roses and cookies and candy and a life of just unbelievable bliss on this side of heaven. You know what I'm promising? Joy. That no matter what your circumstances are, you're going to be okay. And if you're not okay, it's not the end. Because for the Christian. In the end, everything is going to be okay. And if it's not okay, it ain't the end.
So I want to do this. I want to do this. Uh, Pastor Ryan is going to come on up here. And if, if there's any, and we're going to kind of bring the band up and kind of, I want to close if we can. And I want us to have a moment where we uh, just take some time, because he offered this. Like, listen, if you want, if today's your day and you're ready to come forward and get saved and get back, we'll dunk you today. We'll do it. We'll do it in full. Yeah, it's warmed up for you. Full clothes and all. And you might be a snotty mess of tears, but it's your time. And there's no, great, no better day. Today is the day of salvation. And so I want you to walk confidently out of here knowing that your heavenly father is right with you because your savior made a way for you. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And if it's your day to come forward, do it. Don't let today go by without an opportunity. You take that opportunity to give your whole life to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, um, I worship you. And I know that right now um, there's people in this room that came just because they got drugged here. <laughs> and they weren't thrilled about it. They crossed their arms during songs and they said, I don't care, I'm not going to sing, I'm just going to get through this because lunch is afterward. And God, you've been penetrating hearts ever since you came on the scene with the power of your Holy Spirit and you've been drawing men, you've been drawing women to yourself. And Lord, would you do it this morning? Would somebody, for the first time or maybe the 50th time that they kind of got stuck, would you open up their heart to receive the message of hope that Jesus came? And he died on that cross, and he rose from the dead. And their salvation isn't dependent on how good of a job they do at faking it, or how good of a job that they do at being a church person, or how good a job they do at being somewhat moral, because we all know that we are morally bankrupt. But we rely upon you, Jesus, for our salvation, and you to change us, because we can't do it ourselves. We need you. So, Lord, we're, we're crying out. We're saying, God, please help us. And God, I'm praying that somebody here would just have the confidence to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you in my, my words, my heart, my actions. I'm not worthy to be called your child. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. And you would do it, Jesus. And, and Father, I'm praying for those people that have been here for a while or have been Christian quote unquote, for, for, for a long time, but it has been a rocky road and hasn't felt like God has come through. Lord, would you just open up their heart and revive, revive their soul and give them boldness to say, I don't care who knows, I'm dedicating my life to you, Jesus. Lord, we would watch that happen over and over and over again because you were doing something special and specific here for this church to reach this city for your glory because the world needs to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them so much that he would do the unthinkable. God became man, and man, this man was perfect and righteous and died in our place and rose from the dead so that we could have life. Lord, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 